Well, I was going to say you may be seated, but actually you can stay in your pajamas and your bed and keep sipping your coffee. Thank you, Pastor Tarek. Thank you, Pastor Austin, Pastor Luke, Pastor Kyle, the entire worship team. It's an honor to be with you this morning, an honor to be in the Word. I see up in the balcony, two seats away from my beautiful bride, there's Mark Davis, and they are getting ready to have a baby. So let's open up our Bible to Matthew chapter 14, and let's pray for Mark and Shelby, as they will be having a baby, I believe, Thursday morning. And it's been a, it's been a rough pregnancy, and they've been in and out of the doctor So as we dive into the word in Matthew chapter 14, let's pray that Mark and Shelby have a healthy baby with a healthy mama. And we're going to have a fear not message, a fear not message. And I am excited to, to visit with you about what God's word says to our immediate scenario. Father, we thank you for the word that gives us hope, that stabilizes us. Uh, Lord, that energizes us, that mobilizes us, that unifies us. You are great and glorious. We pray that this word would resound in the hearts of everybody that's listening for your hope, Lord, for the, for the glory of Christ, for the hope of the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray for Mark and Shelby Davis. Uh, we all as a church family join hearts. We pray for a healthy baby. We pray for a healthy mama. We pray for a joy-filled daddy. To you be the glory for this, uh, Lord, this baby that's going to be born on, I believe, Thursday. And we pray for our nation. We pray for the nations of the world. We pray for healing across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1941, the United States was bombed at Pearl Harbor by the Japanese Navy. And this is the trigger that caused the United States to enter the war. The Japanese admiral was quoted as saying, I think we have awakened a sleeping giant. And that is exactly what happened. Young men who were uh, tending to their rural agricultural farms signed up. Uh, People across this continent signed up for the war and they crossed the Atlantic, they crossed the Pacific, they fought for freedom against what seemed to be an insurmountable and invincible axis of evil and tyranny. And the United States prevailed. But it was, it was the sacrifice of people leaving everything that was comfortable and familiar and joining together to fight, to fight a common foe that unified us as a power that was, that was indomitable with a spirit and a hope that could not be intimidated. And I believe that what we are experiencing now is similar to the fight that what has been called in American history as the greatest generation faced. Have you heard of the greatest generation? It was, it was my grandparents' era. It was the, uh, the, the history of America that, that was born in the 19, about 1900, give or take a few years, 1890, 1895, 1900, 1905, 1910. It was the generation in the United States that weathered the Great Depression. The generation that, that, that endured World War II and, and fought as one for freedom. And I believe that, that God is raising up another generation, another great generation. And this is our generation because we are fighting a foe together. We're fighting a faceless 
foe. It's a common enemy. This common enemy has no respecter of persons. It does not discriminate against gender, against race, against class. As the president during the Great Depression and World War II addressed the United States during this era, he stood up and he said, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I believe the same can be said of our generation. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And I'm encouraged by the selflessness, by the sacrifices of people who are willing to give up, who are willing to submit to the authority, to trust their leadership in, in, in a manner that might be counterintuitive or countercultural, but for the greater good. We walk in meekness, we walk in humility, and we pool our resources, we unify to fight our faceless foe. I read this week, the reports are that truckers are getting supplies to stores. People are stocking the shelves all night. And the reports are that truckers and and people and and Carnival Cruise Line told uh, our President Trump, we can match those big Navy hospital ships, Comfort and Mercy, with some fully staffed cruise ships. GM said, hold our cars, watch this. We can make those ventilators where we were making cars starting next week. Restaurants said, hmm, I've got kitchen and staff. We can feed kids. NBA basketball players said, hold our basketballs while we write checks to pay the arena staff. Construction companies said, here's some masks for the medical staff and doctors. You have two Democrat governors getting told, we will make it happen by a Republican president who was fought with them for three and a half years. But now they are coming together in this common fight against a faceless foe. And I believe that's, that this is an inspiring time for our country. It's an inspiring time for the church. All week long I've seen this spirit, this spirit of selflessness, the spirit of unity, this spirit of, of submission, the spirit of prayer. Um, our, our ladies of our church family have been delegating the tasks of making personal phone calls. Hey, how are you? Is there anything that we can pray for? Do you need anything? Starting this week, our men are going to be doing the same thing. We had a wonderful meeting, making sure that no, men, no man would be left off of this shepherding task force where calls will be made. Every member of our church will receive a personal phone call at least twice a week saying, can I pray for you? Do you need anything? And then we will do everything within our power to meet those needs. In fact, our church family is partnering with the Union Gospel Mission. There is a need for 125 peanut butter and jelly sack lunches. One of my favorite meals, by the way, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches with potato chips and a little cold milk on the side. But the Union Gospel Mission is in need of 125 sack lunches a day. And downstairs in the event room, there's a team that's, that's meeting that need. And every day, starting at 8 a.m., these sandwiches will be made fresh for that day and distributed and delivered to the Union Gospel Mission. And if you would like to be part of that team, then talk to me about it. Shoot me a message. And, of course, we had guidelines and stipulations to abide by the CDC uh, just to continue to be part of the solution. In, in more ways than one. But it's an exciting day as we're joining together. And the follower of Jesus Christ, the Christian, the church, we are, we are no stranger to fighting an invisible foe, are we? We're no stranger to fighting a faceless foe. Because we read in Ephesians chapter 6 
that, that we have an enemy, and the enemy is not the flesh and blood, but it's in the spiritual realm. And we've learned the weapons that are most effective against a faceless foe. As we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. Are you all impressed how I just, how I just memorized that and spit that out? Actually, I have Chris helping me. He's put it up on the screen, so thank you for that, Chris. And the weapons of warfare when our foe is faceless is repentance, it is prayer, and it is standing on the promises of God. We may be helpless, but we are not hopeless because we have a God that moves in the invisible arena, arena to in turn impact things in the visible arena. So we're in Matthew chapter 14, and I'm looking forward to walking with you through this fear not message. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. I believe God's word to you is be strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you, says the Lord? Do not be afraid. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Also in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 4, we read, Say to those who have an anxious heart. Have you had an anxious heart this week? I believe that we've all been, in, been tempted to have an anxious heart. But we say, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God. He will come and save you. This storm will come and go. And God will be victorious. Which means everybody on God's side will stand victorious. As Joshua told the angel of the Lord. Which was an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ. Whose side are you on? And the appearance of Jesus was so formidable. That Joshua knew that that was going to be the game changer of this battle. And the angel of the Lord said, neither. The place where you're standing is holy ground. And Joshua immediately took his sandals off and bowed down and worshipped the angel of the Lord. And in the same way, what we need to make sure is that we are on God's side. God is for us, not against us. But we need to make sure that we are on God's side. Because that is the winning side. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said, Peace I live, leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. This is the kind of world that, this is the kind of peace that God gives. It's a peace that does not subtract problems. The kind of peace that Jesus Christ gives is not the kind of peace that subtracts problems but rather it's the addition of his power through his presence. And this is an awesome peace. Let me repeat that. The peace that Jesus gives does not subtract problems. It is the addition of his presence and his power in the midst of our problems. Pretty awesome, isn't it? So let's look at Mark, Matthew chapter 14. And we'll pick up with verse 22 immediately. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, and he dismissed the crowds. And we're going to draw about five principles from this passage. And we just read the first principle. Our storm is not an accident. Our storm 
is the result of God's sovereignty. So principle number one, when you think of the coronavirus, when you think of the stores shutting down, when you think of the economic shake that our entire world is feeling, when you think of the jobs that are being lost and the health that is struggling, the first thing that we need to understand about any storm is this. Number one, I am governed by God's providence. This is not an accident. This is not incidental. This is providential. Nothing has affected our life in which God has not governed or at the very least permitted. We are governed by providence. The storm that is to come upon the disciples did not take Jesus by surprise because he would eventually walk on water as we see the text unfold. And if Jesus can walk on water, he can certainly forecast the weather, can he not? Believe me, Jesus doesn't have a cell phone and he's not strictly glued to it, searching for the latest post to understand where we are in this crisis. Jesus isn't closely tuned in to Fox News or CNN to determine what happened today. He is not nervous. He's not wringing his hands. He's not looking at Dow Jones. He's not looking at the stock market. He's not stressing. He's not aging. He's not wrinkling. He's not losing his hair over this. He doesn't have anxiety. Nothing has caught him off guard. In fact, he's allowed it and he's governed it. He's governed it. There is no storm that has affected our life in which did not slip through the fingertips of God's sovereignty. And we're going to see that the disciples find themselves in a storm. But it was Christ who orchestrated this. It was Christ who governed this encounter with this storm. Let's back up to verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get it. Did you see that? He made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds after he fed the multitude. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Who's he praying for? What's he praying about? He's praying for his disciples who were about to find themselves in the midst of a storm. He's praying that they would not be sifted like wheat. As Jesus told Peter, I'm praying for you. Because the enemy wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to destroy you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you to stand in the middle of temptation. I'm praying for you to be courageous in the midst of the storm. And in the same way, Christ is interceding for us. On the cross of Christ, his redemption work was complete. Yet Christ's work continues on in terms of his intercessory work. His ministry of prayer continues. As we read in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. Isn't this awesome? We are entirely saved through Christ's completed work on the cross, but now we are sustained and we're sanctified and we grow by Christ's continued work in heaven as he now lives 
to make intercession for us. I believe this is awesome. Jesus lives to make intercession for us. And what's he praying for us? He's praying for us the same thing he prayed for his disciples. That we wouldn't, we, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't fall in the midst of a trial. We wouldn't stumble in the midst of temptation. We would fulfill our purposes. He's praying that, that we would be strong and courageous in the midst of the storm. That we would be peace in the midst of panic and light in the midst of darkness and calm in the midst of chaos. Christ is praying for us in the midst of this storm. So we have two facts so far about the storm in which we've all found ourselves. The first fact is this. It is not taking God by surprise. In fact, God has governed it. As Luke said earlier, we believe that God has been trying to get our attention. Okay, God, you have our attention. The second fact that we glean about storms from this text is this. Jesus is praying for us in the midst of the storm. And God the Father says, yes, I hear. Yes, I'll give them power. Yes, I'll give them peace. Yes, we've commissioned the Holy Spirit to comfort them, to carry them, to convict them, to bring them to a place where they're totally surrendered to me. The third principle that we learn from the storm is this. I am governed by his plan. I am growing by his plan. I am growing by his plan. Verse 24. But the boat, by this time, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, and the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, now let's just stop right there. So far, if you do the math, we are six hours into this boat ride, and the boat is a long way from land. They can't see land anymore. On top of that, it's the fourth hour, of, it's the fourth watch of the night. This is the darkest hour of the night. They can't swim. The waves are too big. They're terrified. These are seasoned sailors. And they're putting their backs to the oars. And they're terrified. And they're thinking their boat is going to capsize. They're thinking they're all going to drown. It's the darkest night. It's the darkest hour of the entire night. And yet, this seems to be the plan, evidently, that God has orchestrated for them. Because if you recall, it was Jesus who made them get in the boat. And it's Jesus who went up on the mountain. It was Jesus who was praying for them. And now the disciples are in the darkest hour of this intense storm. We need to know this about God's plan. Sometimes God's plan involves unsettling waters. Sometimes God's plan involves dark nights. We read in James chapter 1, Count it pure joy, brothers, not if but when you fall into trials of many kinds. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, Rejoice, not if but when you find yourselves in suffering. Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We do not have a theology that unravels when we find ourselves in a dark night of the soul. We do not have a theology that unravels when we find ourselves in difficulty. Pastor Adrian Rogers calls televangelists who preach a health, wealth, prosperity gospel, the joy boys on TV whose theology unravels in dark times. We're not joy boys who preach that, that, that it's always going to be walking on, on cotton candy clouds and reclining on rainbows. We're going to have difficulty, Jesus promised it, and this is why. God's plan for us is not to indulge us God's plan is to enlarge us. 
God doesn't indulge us with our whims and wishes and wants. God enlarges us with our character. I believe our generation has a long ways to go to be enlarged, to reflect the character of Christ to this generation. I believe this storm is shaking the world, as Luke testified earlier, to get the world's attention. But I also believe that this storm is providential in order to get the church's attention so that he can enlarge our character, he can enlarge our surrender to Christ, he can enlarge our availability so that we are holding nothing back in our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are exclusively, ruthlessly following Christ and surrender to him so that we are always his hands and feet. Fourth characteristic of this trial is that I am gladdened by his presence. I am gladdened by his presence. We continue reading. It's the fourth watch of the night. And then he came to them. And Jesus is walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart at his eye. Do not be afraid. What an awesome passage. Jesus walked to them in the midst of this trial. And his presence was so startling. His presence was so dramatic. His presence was so formidable. That his presence had a greater impact on their attention than the storm. God's love is so lofty. His power is so weighty. His presence is so impacting that when you get a glimpse of Christ in the midst of your storm, his presence will have a greater impact upon you than the storm that is raging around you. And this is the place that God is trying to bring all of us. To the place that our invisible foe, our faceless foe is shaking the world and the world is wringing their hands. But we go to our prayer closet and we get a glimpse of his peace and his presence has a greater impact on our heart and mind than the world. So that we leave the prayer closet and Jesus said, you pray to me in private and I will shine through you in public. We leave our prayer closet with Christ radiating out of us. Priority as followers of Jesus Christ is not to stock up our kitchens. Yes, that has its place. Yes, that's practical. But no, that's not our greatest priority. Our greatest priority as followers of Jesus Christ is to catch a a glimpse of the presence of God so that we are more impacted by the presence of God than we are the storms and the waves around us. And you say, well, I don't know if I'm there yet. Then you're not. Because when you're there, you know that you're there. Because you are not affected by the storm that rages around you. When you so catch a glimpse of his face that that you're more impacted by the presence of Jesus Christ than the world around you, you know that you're there. But not only that, the world knows that that you're there. And that is when the church is the light of the world. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18, we read. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. 
For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Now, let's, just, let's just think about this for a moment. The Lord is waiting for you. We're in the fourth watch of the night. The darkest night of this tumultuous storm. The darkest hour of this tumultuous storm. What is Jesus waiting on? Have you ever thought about the, deliver, the, the deliberate delays of God throughout Scripture? How about John chapter 11 when Jesus received word that his, that, that his friend Lazarus was, was sick and he waited two days in order for Lazarus to die. And then he showed up four days late at the funeral. A deliberate delay of God so that all eyes would be on Jesus Christ. How about this deliberate delay of God when in the book of Genesis, God prophesied to Adam that there would be a Messiah who would redeem the world. And then God waited four thousand years to fulfill that promise a deliberate delay of god how about when jesus said that he's going to return and all the prophets say that christ is going to come again and this has been a deliberate delay of god if you find yourselves in the midst of a deliberate delay of god you have to ask yourself what is god waiting on what is god waiting on god is waiting on you to wait on him If God ever deliberately delays his presence and power in the midst of a storm, it's because God is waiting on you to wait on him so that he can show you mercy. As we read in Peter that God is not slack concerning his promises. He is going to return, but he's waiting so that people will wait on him so that he can show them mercy. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. This is what God is waiting for. Why, this, which is why we read in Isaiah 30, 18, that the Lord waits to be gracious to you. One, our, one of our staff members up here at the building joked the other day that, that I think this entire thing has happened so that God could get my attention. And I said, well, on behalf of the entire world, would you please hurry up and repent so we can get back to work? But there's truth to this. There's a biblical principle. God is waiting for the world to repent. God is waiting for the world to wait upon him so that he can show the world mercy. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Therefore the Lord waits, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Next principle. I am guarded by his power. In the midst of this storm, I am guarded by his power. And Peter answered, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached down his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Jesus wants us to walk on water with him so people can praise him. And everybody knows that we have a God who knows our name and loves them and paid for their sins on the cross. And this is our principles for this storm that we find ourselves. One, we are governed by God's providence. Two, we are We are guarded by Jesus' prayers. Three, we are growing by his plan. 
We are gladdened by His presence. And we are guarded by His power. So in closing, just let me ask again. Have you had a glimpse of the face of God to the extent that Christ's presence is more impactful upon your life than the storm that is raging around us? If not, then in our response time, rather than asking you to come down to the altar, I want to ask you to go into your prayer closet and pray and repent and call out to Christ. And let me tell you something. You will walk out of that prayer closet and you'll have the peace of God on your life. You know what? Sometimes we have to pray through until the Spirit of Christ's breakthrough. I found myself watching the news. I was glued to the news this past week. I was scrolling through social media. I was seeing what this news commentator and this news commentator had to say, what the president said, what the vice president had last said. And I just felt this huge weight resting heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier upon me. I saw how this storm was affecting members of our church personally, our entire church family corporately, and this weight continued to press on heavier and heavier and heavier onto me. I called a friend and visited about the situation and we prayed. Another friend called me, we visited about the situation and prayed, and guess what? The, the weight lifted a little more with each prayer with a good friend. One, one phone call was Luke, the other was Jose. But I still felt the weight. So I took my Bible. I was in the living room. I took my Bible. I walked in past my, the, the, the master bedroom into the, uh, the, the closet. And I closed the door. And I just began praying. I didn't tell my wife where I was going. So I heard her in the living, in the living room call my name a few times. But I, I was in my closet and I continued to pray. Until I got a glimpse of the face of God. Until I sensed His presence. And I walked out of the prayer closet. And I didn't sense that weight on my shoulders any longer. I didn't sense that burden. Oh, I said, oh, there you are. I thought you went to bed. I said, no, I, I was just in the prayer closet, in my closet. I turned it into a prayer closet. Jesus said, what's done in private will be rewarded publicly. I had peace. So I want to encourage you, rather than coming down to the altar, go into your prayer closet. Literally, go into your prayer closet. Matthew 6, 6. But when you pray, go into your, your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Pray through until the Spirit of Christ breaks through, until you sense the impact of His presence more than the weight of the storm. And this is how we'll shine. And when when you're in your prayer closet, pray for your country, pray for the nations of the world, pray for your leaders, pray for President Trump, pray for Vice President Mike Pence, pray for the scientists, pray, pray, pray pray. God responds in power and authority to our prayers. And then I want to challenge you to do something else. I want to challenge challenge you today to reach out. Do you know your neighbors? I want to challenge you to reach out to two neighbors. Go to the neighbor on your right. Go to the neighbor on your left. 
Well, let's make it three. Go to the neighbor across the street. <laughs> Introduce themselves or simply say hi to them and just ask them this. Just say, do you need anything? Do you need anything? And we'll help you meet their needs. Meet, meet it yourself or your church family will help you meet their needs. Let's all do that. Let's reach out. Let's go to this neighbor. Let's go to that neighbor. And then let's go to the neighbor across the street. And just ask them this question. Do you need anything? Okay, well, let us know if you do. We're right next door. We're right across the street. Would you do that? This is our action step as a church family. Rather than coming to the altar, go to your prayer closet. And then sometime today, go to this neighbor, that neighbor, and that neighbor. And discern their needs. And let them know that you're there for them. Pray through until the Spirit breaks through. Pray until you sense Christ's presence more than you sense the world's problems on your shoulders. That's our action step. And then we can walk on water. We'll be above the storm. We will live above the storm. We'll be the peace in the midst of the storm. And all the way through, we have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus. Let's pray, and then I'm going to turn it back over to Kyle and the worship team to lead us in worship. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would bless this nation. Give President Trump wisdom. Give Mike Pence wisdom. Give all of the staff in Washington wisdom. Give the scientists wisdom. Continue, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name that there would be a spirit of, of, of intense, unprecedented cooperation among the nations of the world. To protect, to, to protect one another's citizens' health. We pray for a spirit of selflessness. Uh, Lord, to run rampant throughout the United States. We've seen glimpses of it, and we pray for more of it. And we thank you that you've allowed this church family to be a light that shines in the darkness. You sustained us every step of the way, and we thank you and praise you for your continued, for your continued sustenance. To you be the glory. As our church accesses their prayer closets today, meet them, Lord, as they pray through until your spirit breaks through and they sense your presence more than the panic in the world. And we will keep our eyes on you as we walk on water. And a little more practically, as we walk next door and next door and across the street to ask our neighbors... Do you need anything? We're here for you if you do. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for giving us the honor of trusting you in the midst of the storm. Thank you for the honor of submitting to and supporting our leaders in the midst of the storm. Thank you for the honor of shining you in the midst of this darkness. Lord, thank you for the honor of walking in a spirit of love and making every effort to protect the most vulnerable in our society. Lord, we pray that you would continue to shine through us powerfully. In Jesus' name.